Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is MJ. And I'm Liz. And we're your host of Sisters in Crime. Welcome back, guys. We are so sorry about last week. As mentioned on our Instagram and Facebook page, we lost all the footage of last week's episode, as well as the footage for the last few episodes of season one. But we are back to re-recording, and honestly, we don't mind whatsoever because we love what we do. And thank you for being so understanding about last week. We were nervous to announce it, but we remember that our supporters are the best, so we knew y'all will understand. Exactly, but let's get into today's episode. Today we'll be talking about the Tylenol pain relief scandal. I personally don't use Tylenol, do you sis? Me neither, I'm not a big Tylenol fan. I don't think, uh, well it doesn't work for me honestly. Um, honestly I don't think it works for me either, but regardless of whether you do or not, this case might make you reconsider next time you take a trip to the pharmacy. Let's get started. On September 29, 1982, in the suburbs of Chicago, Jenna Kellerman walked into her daughter Mary Kellerman's bedroom to wake her up for school. Jenna did this every weekday morning. This was their routine. Once Mary was awake, she mentioned that she wasn't feeling well. She had a runny nose and a sore throat. Jenna walked over to the bathroom and from the medicine cabinet gave Mary some extra strength Tylenol pills for her pain. 30 minutes go by and Mary heads into the bathroom to brush her teeth. As soon as the door closes, Dennis, Mary's dad, hears a thump. Dennis walks over to the bathroom door and lightly knocks asking Mary if she's okay. Yeah, I mean it could have easily been a shampoo bottle falling. Yes, I thought that too. You know they just fall like at the most random times. But anyways, Dennis doesn't hear a response so he asks again, Mary, are you okay? And when Mary doesn't respond for the second time, Dennis opens the door to find Mary on the floor unconscious. Whoa, what? Why? Well, at the time, it's unknown. Her parents rushed her to the hospital, but unfortunately, she was pronounced dead at 9.30 a.m. So she has a sore throat one minute and then the next she's dead? Pretty much. That's so weird. What killed her? Let me guess. Tylenol. Well, um, at first, it's believed to be a stroke. Like, that's what the doctor said, but only because he couldn't pinpoint any other reason that made sense. While all this is happening, Adam Janus, who was 27 at the time, living in the suburbs of Chicago, woke up feeling sick as well. So he called out of work and decided to get some rest for the day. Adam was a dad with two young kids, and if you're a parent, you know there's no such thing as days off for parents. You can say that again. Well, regardless of Adam not feeling well, he had to go pick up his kids from school. After picking them up, Adam decides to stop at a grocery store called Jewel and bought some extra strength Tylenol. Once he got home, Adam took a couple of Tylenols and as he's walking into his bedroom to lay down, he collapsed. Adam was also rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival. Oh my god, this is so scary. And what was the reason the doctor gave for his death? The doctor said it was some kind of cardiac arrest, question mark? Um, he honestly wasn't sure, but he didn't want to leave the family wondering. So he lied? I mean, no. His heart definitely did stop, but the doctors didn't know what caused it, so he just said cardiac arrest. Moments after Adam was pronounced dead, and while his family is at the hospital trying to make sense of the news, 
Mary Lean Reiner, who I will refer to as Lynn moving forward to avoid confusion, is a 27-year-old also living in the Chicago area, was at home resting and recovering since she had just had a baby. Lynn was feeling a bit of pain in her abdomen and decided to take a few Tylenol to relieve her pain. Minutes later, Michelle, Lynn's daughter, walked into the room to the side of her mom collapsing right before her eyes. Ed, Lynn's husband, arrived home from work right after Lynn collapsed. He called an ambulance and she was rushed to the hospital. Okay, I'm starting to see the pattern here. Pain, Tylenol, and collapse. In Chicago. In Chicago, that's right. And wait, this is all happening back to back? Yes, both Mary and Adam died within hours of each other. Um, Lynn hasn't died yet at this point. Okay, so if you put two and two together... Dun, dun, dun... Okay, so let's go back to Adam. We know he's pronounced dead and his family decides to go to his house to comfort his wife and his two kids, as well as to comfort each other. You know, they had just lost a brother, a son, etc. In the home, Stanley, who is Adam's brother, starts to get a headache and asks his wife, Teresa, to find him some painkillers. So, why are, why are all these people taking Tylenol, like, if it's the only pain-relieving drug out there? Uh, good question. Okay, so at the time, in the 80s, um, Tylenol was the most sold over-the-counter pain reliever, I guess, in the market. Like, they were leading the market with the most sales they were the most popular the most well-known brand at the time it was so common everybody had it in the shelves like this what this is why it became such a big deal a big scandal because everybody or most people had tylenol in their shelves while Teresa is searching through the house to find something for a headache she walks into adam's bathroom and starts searching his medicine cabinet Teresa finds some extra strength Tylenol, takes a couple, and then heads over to Stanley, who also takes a couple of pills. Feeling stressed and overwhelmed about the sudden death of his brother, Stanley walked outside for a smoke when he too suddenly collapsed. Five minutes later, Teresa collapsed as well. Both were rushed to the hospital. At this point, the entire family is panicking. Adam had just died not even three hours ago, and now Stanley and Teresa have both collapsed and fallen into a coma? The family called the hospital worried that something was wrong and the hospital decided to quarantine the family and observe them because this was just so weird. So no one had like any thoughts about the Tylenol. They didn't they didn't consider they didn't they weren't suspicious about the Tylenol yet? No, because like what a minuscule thing. I mean people take painkillers or like, you know, just pain relievers in general all the time without thinking twice about it i know people that take them every day which i feel like it's a lot but who am i to judge you know um so they didn't really think twice about it they maybe thought that it could have been something else and i'm gonna get into that in a little bit okay so now they're quarantining and what are they telling them well the family in an interview talks about how you know they're quarantined they don't know what's going on they were even read their last rites and i honestly didn't know what that was um Liz, can you kind of go into that a little bit so the last rites is a prayer that basically asks for the forgiveness and mercy of god in the last hours of one's life usually people who are terminally ill will be read this prayer it's also a catholic practice um i think that's what i read but i'm pretty sure anybody can be read the prayer if they requested it and it can only be read to you by a priest you can't just google it and have a friend read it for you oh my god okay so i was you know googling it just to get more information and one of the suggestors questions was do you tip a priest after they read you the last rites i'm like who asked that <laughs> girl for real <laughs> So anyways, 
The Janus family is being held for observation because the hospital wants to know why three of their family members just suddenly collapsed. Um, and their first theory was carbon monoxide poisoning. Which honestly makes sense. If you look up the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning, it lists headaches, dizziness, breathlessness, collapse, and loss of consciousness. We know that all three Janus family members were struggling with headaches. They all collapsed and unfortunately, all died. While doctors spend the rest of the day trying to figure out what caused three Janus family members to collapse in a matter of hours, somebody said cyanide. Wait, cyanide? Like we talked about in the Jim Jones case? Yes, exactly, exactly. Nick Pichos, an investigator, was on the case. It was just not making any sense to anybody how three people within the same household all experienced same symptoms, took Tylenol, and then collapsed. Pichot spoke to Dr. Thomas Kim, who had treated Adam and was now observing the surviving Janus family members. Dr. Kim didn't have a clear answer for Pichosh. This was the very first time he had seen something so peculiar. Pichot suggested that they should go to the Janus family house to find more answers. Pesoch needed backup from somebody who had knowledge about what could have caused such an abnormal reaction to the body, so he called Helen Jensen, who was a nurse at the hospital where the Janus family was being observed, and asked her to come along with him to the Janus home. Our next victim was Mary McFarland, and I know, there's multiple Marys in this case, so we'll just call her by her last name, again, just to avoid confusion. McFarland was 30 years old, a single mother of two, just trying to make ends meet for her children. She was working at Illinois Bell, which is a phone company owned by AT&T, and on September 30th at around 6.30pm, the day following the deaths of Mary and Adam, McFarlane was at work when she started getting a headache. McFarlane left her post and walked over to the employee's break room, took a couple Tylenols, and within minutes from taking the pills, McFarlane was unconscious on the floor. McFarlane was rushed to the hospital and was pronounced to be in a coma. The same day at around 8pm, Pesosh, Helen, and police officers arrived at the Janus family home. Helen, Pesosh, and police officers began rummaging through the house hoping to find something, anything that could make sense. Helen was looking through the kitchen where she found tons of over-the-counter medications. Which I don't find odd to be honest, we all have a drawer in the kitchen dedicated just to that. While Helen continues looking, Pesosh heads to the basement. He noticed that there was some welded objects and figured he'd take a closer look. Pesosh knew that sometimes with welded objects, people tend to use a polish, which sometimes can contain cyanide, and since somebody had already brought that up to Dr. Kim, he figured he'd just check. But he didn't find polish anywhere in the basement, so he just started making his way back up to the main floor. It was around this time that Stanley Janus was pronounced dead at the hospital. So now both brothers, Adam and Stanley, had died from odd circumstances within a day of each other. At this point, Helen was already searching through Adam's bedroom and eventually his bathroom. Helen found a bottle of extra strength Tylenol, which in and of itself isn't weird, but she opened the bottle and realized six pills were missing. She thought to herself, six pills, two people dead, one in a coma, no protection seal. Wait. What do you mean no protection seal? Well, during this time, aka the early 80s, none of the over-the-counter medicine had that little protective seal on the top. You know, like when you buy um, like a new bottle of pills and they come with that little seal that you have to pull off. Oh yeah, you, op- you twist the cap open and then there's that film that you have to like peel it off. That little film was in there during this time. The only thing that was there though was like the little cotton bunch that we still see today in the, in the pill containers. 
So anyway, Helen makes the connection and figures that it's worth a try. She grabs the Tylenol bottle and heads back to the hospital. At around 9.30pm the same night, a 35-year-old flight attendant named Paula Prince, living in the city of Chicago at the time, had just landed and finished her shift. Paula decided she needed some Tylenol to help with symptoms of a cold. She stopped at a Walgreens that was on her way home and bought the Tylenol. Paula took a couple of Tylenols and went to bed. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Helen is trying to convince Pisoche and Dr. Kim that Tylenol was the culprit. Dr. Kim didn't really understand how Tylenol could be at fault. Pisoche, on the other hand, remembered that for whatever reason, the police department who handled Mary Kellerman's case, who was the very first death, had for some reason kept the Tylenol bottle as evidence, so Pisoche requested them to bring it to the hospital. Dr. Kim keeps thinking about what was the underlying cause of the deaths. He remembers cyanide, but why would somebody bring that up? And furthermore, how would two different people be exposed to it in the same house but not anybody else? Well, could he run a blood test or something to see if there's actually any cyanide? So he does actually, um, but unfortunately Dr. Kim worked at a pretty small hospital so he couldn't run the specialty test there. So he had to send out the blood sample to a different lab. Meanwhile, Pesoch has received the Tylenol bottle belonging to Mary Kellerman's family and starts looking for similarities between Mary and Adam. Both cases were very similar, but the victims were completely different. Mary, a 12-year-old girl living in Elk Grove Village, and Adam, a 27-year-old man living in Arlington Heights, the similarities in their deaths were uncanny. Both took Tylenol pills after feeling ill, both collapsed minutes later, and both died at the hospital hours after taking the Tylenol. Pesoch kept looking at the bottles. What are the similarities here? How are these two pill bottles connected, if at all? And that's when he sees it. And now, a quick word from today's sponsor. The bottles share the same batch number. That's right. Both bottles, Mary Kellerman's and Adam Janus's bottles, shared a batch number, MC2880. So what does that mean? Well, now we might have a lead. Pesoch called the medical examiner who told Pesoch to empty the bottles and smell them. Pesoch emptied out the bottles and smelled. They smell like almonds, he said. Upon taking a closer look, the pills looked fine. They didn't look tampered with, there wasn't anything out of the ordinary nothing extra. I'm assuming both their light switches went off at the same time because they say cyanide. The medical examiner tests the pills and what do you know? Cyanide is present. The medical examiner later explains that cyanide is a chemical asphyxiant which like we discussed in the Jim Jones case basically keeps oxygen from reaching the red blood cells. I searched on Google for other types of chemical asphyxiants and one of the first examples I saw was carbon monoxide which you mentioned was Dr. Kim's first theory. Yes exactly so we're starting to see why they made that assumption especially because carbon monoxide and cyanide poisoning both share the same symptoms. So now it's September 30th, 1am in a cold and awfully lit hospital. The blood test came back and boom, cyanide levels through the roof. Dr. Kim now knows that Adam and Stanley had both died by cyanide poisoning. Dr. Kim told the medical examiner about what the blood results showed, but the medical examiner already knew. The medical examiner called in the news to Johnson & Johnson, who owned and manufactured Tylenol. A couple of hours later, Mary McFarlane, the single mother of two who collapsed in the employee break room, was pronounced dead. And just a few hours from McFarlane's death, 
Mrs. Lynn Reiner was also pronounced dead. How are they not making the connections right away, though? Well, because these people aren't dying in the same hospital. Mary Kellerman, the first victim, died at the Alexian Brothers Medical Center. Adam and Stanley both died in the Northwest Community Hospital. Mary McFarland died at the Good Samaritan Hospital. And Lynn Reiner died at the Central... The Puge Hospital, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the only dots connected as of now were the deaths of Mary Kellerman and Adam and Stanley because of the pill bottles. Finally, at around 10 a.m., an attorney of Johnson & Johnson comes to the medical examiner's office and is taken into the lab. The toxicologist shows the lawyer what they found. There was no denying that the Tylenol pills had been laced with cyanide and the medical examiner had to warn the public. Roy Dames, CEO of the Cooks County Medical Examiner's Office, held a press conference to warn the public about the laced Tylenol pills. But that was it. Just a warning. No action. And Helen was pissed. How could they not recall the Tylenol? They are a threat to the public health and who knows how many other people are in danger. Helen called the police department and demanded that they recall all the Tylenol. Get it off the shelves immediately. So they did. Johnson & Johnson announces the recall of all the Tylenol containers from batch MC2880. The recall sent the country into a panic. Obviously, America is not built for handling panic very well, because just like the start of the pandemic back in March, hospitals were bombarded with thousands of people worried that they had been poisoned, phone lines at the hospital were going off, the center of poison control was going crazy. I mean, just like when the pandemic started. Although Johnson & Johnson had simply recalled the tainted batch, some states did more than that. North Dakota banned all Tylenol cells, and both Colorado and Massachusetts told all stores to remove Tylenol off the shelves. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut took all the extra strength Tylenol off the shelves and removed the containers belonging to the same batch number, MC2880, but cells of all other Tylenol products weren't banned. In total, 93,000 bottles and over 4 million pills from batch MC2880 were recalled. The batch was manufactured and distributed from a Tylenol plant in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania, and this plant was in charge of distributing to over 34 states. So although the deaths connected had all happened in the suburbs of Chicago, the chances of someone outside the area being poisoned were there. The next day, early in the afternoon, Teresa Janus, wife of Stanley and sister-in-law to Adam, was taken off life support and pronounced dead. At this point, the doctors and police knew that she had also been a victim of cyanide poisoning. Paula Prince, the flight attendant, had been a no-call no-show to work and she had also missed plans with her mother and sister. Her sister kept calling and calling Paula, but she never heard back from her. The sister called the police to see if she could perform a welfare check because she was concerned and worried. Not picking up and missing work was not in Paula's character. When the police arrived at Paula's apartment and knocked and knocked with no answer, they barged through the front door only to discover Paula dead in her bed. As mentioned earlier, Paula had bought some Tylenol from Walgreens near her home and by the time the police found her, the news of the lace pills had already been made. So when the officers found a container of Tylenol left open in Paula's restroom, they made the connection. A toxicology test was performed only to confirm what they already knew. Paula died of cyanide poisoning. Paula would be the seventh and the last victim of the Lay's Tylenol pills. It is unclear who this bottle belonged to, but batch number 1910MD was found to be laced with cyanide after testing, so with that, it was recalled. 
Batch 1910MD came from just up the street, the Tylenol plant in Round Rock. In total, 171,000 bottles and over 8 million pills were recalled from this batch. Johnson & Johnson was panicking. How can they not only help the public, but also help themselves? They decided to set up hotlines for those who thought they had been poisoned, and on top of that, Johnson & Johnson offered a refund to all customers who had recently purchased their Tylenol products. In total, Johnson & Johnson recalled a total of 31 million bottles of pills worth over $100 million. That's a huge loss for a company. But who would want to poison Tylenol pills? As police did their investigation, Johnson & Johnson received a handful of letters from James William Lewis claiming that he was the one who tampered with the pills. In his letters, James demanded a $1 million payout to stop. The Chicago police and even the FBI didn't believe that James was responsible for the murders. He wasn't even living in Chicago at the time, he was living in New York. And it wouldn't make sense for him to fly or even make a 12-hour drive to poison random people. Regardless, James was arrested and sentenced to 20 years for extortion. By the way, guys, extortion is basically getting something by threatening someone else. Yeah, and from that 20-year sentence, James only served 13 years. While the investigation was ongoing, Johnson & Johnson got to work. Johnson & Johnson developed their tamper-proof packaging. Not only did they include a taped box, but there was now a plastic seal over the cap of a bottle and once you open the bottle, another peel off top. A three-step system. And it worked. Johnson & Johnson did the right thing. They showed compassion for their customers, they offered them resources, and they offered them a new and improved product with safety and peace of mind for all. A year after the deaths, Tylenol was back to the number one over-the-counter drug, and it wasn't long till all over-the-counter meds followed suit and began adding extra tamper-free packaging. It has now been 39 years since the poisoning and the culprit has never been identified. Tylenol has once again changed their packaging, now removing the film around the cap altogether to ease the process for customers with arthritis. The deaths of Mary Kellerman, Adam, Stanley, and Teresa Janus, Mary McFarlane, Mary Lynn Reiner, and Paula Prince set the standard for modern-day over-the-counter packaging. Alright guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Is this your first time hearing the case? If so, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Definitely let us know. Liz, where can they find us? Head over to our Instagram at Sisters and Crime Pod or visit our Facebook page at Sisters and Crime Podcast to chime in under this episode's post. We thank you for your support in listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to leave us a rate on Apple Podcasts or shoot us a DM with any feedback. This show was created for you and we want to improve in any way that you guys see fit. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode. Until then, bye! bye.